it's good to see you. It's good, great to see you, man. It's great to see you. I like your glasses; those are cool. Oh, thanks. These are the the blue blocker things Chelsea buys by the pack. Yeah, yeah. You look you look great for what are you today? Seventy six. Thank you. I for appreciate your, that for um, your email. Sorry about that. Man, I was just telling Chelsea. I, a man came in the barber shop this morning. He's in his mid seventies. I looked down; he had the same tennis shoes as me. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, you guys must have excellent taste in footwear, at least in slip-ons. And <laughs> slip-on, that's right. When you go Velcro, you'll never go back. Exactly. Yeah. Once well, I get there, you know what? I, as my friend, I fully expect you to to do an intervention when that happens. That you come to me and say, "Bro, you, you can't go Velcro yet. You can't go Velcro. <laughs> Velcro is all the comfort of a slip-on with all the security of a shoelace. It's the best of all the worlds." It is just not not yet. Not, not yet. yet. And, and right. as, you're my accountability partner. <laughs> if you see that, you <laughs> friends yeah. don't let friends go Velcro. <laughs> yes, at least not till I'm 70. Come on. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, you're 76 according to your email, which I thought was not what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is really great to see you. In case those of you who are listening don't know, I've recently transitioned over to the St. Louis, Missouri area out of Mount Vernon, Ohio. So we're not able to do this podcast on site anymore. So yeah. now we see each other through the technology, through the screen. But we we want to continue to record the Preacher and the Policeman podcast just because it's, it's so much fun. Even if nobody listens, I love this. This is fun. Just this can interact with my friend. I love it. <laughs> but we're going to go deep today once again on our episode and as far as what we're going to talk about but andy's got a great story i'd love for you to share that with our listeners to lead us into our topic well yeah we got on this discussion about trust and who you trust and what can you trust and it's kind of been a little theme we've talked about in the bible studies at our church and it reminded me of this story we several years ago were dispatched to a domestic disturbance very familiar with this family and not the typical kind of domestic disturbance that you might think of at first. It's actually these brothers that had come to Mount Vernon, and they were a rough bunch. Uh, it's the only way I can describe it, just a rough, rough bunch. No, I, I got a question. When you said you're yeah. very familiar with the family, is there like a custom rewards program with <laughs> with people who commit crimes and felonies and all that? Is there like a way to get your a punch card or if you have six misdemeanors you get one misdemeanor trial free yeah, yeah, kind of we call them frequent flyers frequent flyers uh, okay it's a, it's a free trip to jail and uh, cheerios are served for breakfast so are they honey nut or no. are they just oh they're just plain let's not let's not oh, push our luck that's a rough life all right go ahead <laughs> so this family these brothers they are a rough bunch and except for the younger brother he's an adult also but he tends to kind of shy away from the punches that are thrown and doesn't really get into the fray but the oldest two man they just like to scrap and fight with each other never with the neighbors never with us they were actually always really decent with us but man they did not get along and so as we're headed to this very familiar address we've been there many many times you know the names very well 
we see somebody coming down the road and he's on this weird contraption. I still to this day don't know what it is, but it almost would look like a, a three-wheeled scooter, but it's got these pedals, like almost like an elliptical machine, but you've got to use the, the shoulder movement too to really get some momentum. He's oh just walking towards us. I've never seen a contraption like that. I, I actually would and like probably for one. good reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if I can find one, I'll get it because it looks like great exercise. I'll go on and Shark Tank with you. Would you? That'd be great. Maybe Absolutely. he already did. That's why they moved we can away call, from our city. We can call it the Mopaliptical Bike. It's <laughs> it the Mopaliptical out. Bike Shorter. I, that's that's going to just roll right off the tongue. I love that's it. Right. <laughs> He's got his dog chasing behind him, and he sees us, and we pull in because we thought, well, there's brother. We know him. We know he's likely to have been there. He's coming from there. We better stop and talk to him first. And he's out of breath, of course, not just from this. What did you call it? The elliptical. Mopa elliptical bike. Mopa elliptical. <laughs> but he's excited and he's he's a little amped up. And so he tells us, we said, what's what's going on down there? What, what are your brothers getting into it about? And he starts telling us. And I, I want to say maybe they had started with this card game or something like that. I can't really remember. They could really fight over anything and everything. And it would come to blows. And maybe one so, of the brothers tried to take the Mopa elliptical scooter bike away from <laughs> the other brother. That could be. They generally left this one alone. And he's he's getting so excited talking to us. And he says, they got into it and they started fighting. And, you know, I just wanted to have a good time. I just wanted to drink a little beer, play some cards, have some fun. And then they get into it. And I'm sick of this. The dog's sick of it. And this whole fight breaks out. And I look at the dog and the dog looks at me and the dog says, I'm out of here. And I said, I'm out of here, too. And as soon as we as soon oh as we God. heard that, we said, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Looked at the dog. He looked at you, and wait. the dog said, "I'm out of here." Okay, okay, hang on, hang on. Did he use pronouns? Is there any way he could refer to a person with intellect and conscious and ability to make words? out of sounds or did he legitimately point to his dog and say he, the dog said bro deuces he, he did man i'm out of here you know and and in his defense if this dog could talk i think that's how he would talk i think he would talk like that man i'm out of here this ain't cool he just looked like that kind <laughs> i of ain't cool down dog. with this yeah it just had a cool look to him for a canine. And, but you know what? I don't believe for a second he thought the dog actually had the ability to speak, right? I think that he realized that dog was also as stressed as he was in this tense situation. And they have a connection. We all have connections to our pets, especially if you're a dog lover. You know, there's this connection. And you, you know what they want without them having to say it. But in his mind, there's Treats. this connection. And he implicitly trusts what this dog is wanting to convey to him. <laughs> and in his mind, somehow it gets filtered and translated and transcribed. And it comes out as, man, I'm out of here. I don't have to take no more of this. I'm right. out of here. You coming with right. me? Right. Now, the 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 good news is, before you get worried thinking we left these other guys to do it out and beat each other up, they did beat each other up, but they didn't want to do anything, and they uh, they ended up getting long, shaking hands and, and everything else. It was a happy ending on that side for keeping everything in context. But the highlight of that story, I couldn't oh, yeah. tell you exactly oh, yeah. what started the fight. I couldn't tell you uh, what the resolution was we did on the scene. The the biggest thing that sticks out after all these years when handling that call out of many, many calls with this family is 
him just as sincere as could be, as excited as he could be, saying, the dog just looked at me and said, and I thought, man, this guy loves and trusts his dog. <laughs> I hope he never gives him bad advice. That's right. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I've never, we've got a dog. We love him. He's a good guy. He's a good dog, but he's never said anything to me. I don't know that he could or would say anything to me, but Are if he listening? did say something to me, yeah, I, maybe I'm just not listening. Yeah. I don't know that I could trust him to give me life advice. <laughs> you know, it would be great though, if there was something we could trust, maybe, I don't know, I'm just shooting in the dark here, spitballing, just, if there was some kind of a, maybe like a book mm. that was compiled by somebody who knew much more than we, who has been around much longer yeah, yeah. than we have, who yeah. would even, man, this is really far up, but infinite in wisdom. Wouldn't that be great? If there was some kind of a book that was yeah. authored by, inspired by someone infinite in wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Creator of all, maybe could be. Oh, wow. Creator. That would be the, yeah. that's yeah. like, that's yeah. like the ultimate titanium version. You're onto something. Yeah. 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 Could there be such a book? Well, that's a good question. It is. You know what? Let's try to answer that. Okay. Let's try to answer that question. Is there a book like a Bible, for example? Is there sure. a Bible of sorts that we sure. could trust to give us <laughs> advice, counsel, direction, and even get us all the way from here to heaven? LJ, let me ask my two dogs that are right here. Right. Let's see what they say. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> well, while you ask them, we're going to go to this. Hey, good day to you, preacher and the policeman listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry. I'm the preacher. And I'm Andy. I'm the policeman. And you're listening to... Can we really trust the Bible on the preacher and the policeman? We'll be back right after this. All right. So in case you're just joining us, we are asking ourselves the question, can we really trust the Bible? If you've been listening to a few of the podcast episodes prior to this one, you realize that we have been sharing some information, counsel, direction out of the Bible. And then some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute there, Rev. Can I even trust the Bible? I mean, come on, let's think about it. This has been thousands of years ago. Then I remember one day I was coming home from school. I think it was either junior high or high school. And some of the kids on the bus knew I was a Christian, I'm a believer, and they basically said, oh, come on, man, you can't trust the Bible. That was written by a bunch of guys just sitting down on the beach, just dreaming up stuff. And I <laughs> I guess in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know, I could see a couple guys on the beach with a couple of two liters of Mountain Dew, just, just like, I'm not going to stop writing until I fall asleep. But is that really the case? Is that that we cannot trust the Bible? Is there any evidence that what was written in the Bible, which was in fact written thousands of years ago, could indeed be true. Okay, let's start off first by what's called circular reasoning. Can we trust the Bible? Well, the Bible says you can, so there you go. That's also sure. like me saying I'm Captain America, and how do I know that? Well, because I said so. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, who needs a cape and a shield? I am Captain America. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm more Where's Waldo than Captain America, but you know, 
that's a discussion for when I get to heaven. You'll always be my hero. (laughs) (laughs) But the Bible does say that it is the word of God. We're going to start there, but we're not going to stop there. But we do need to start there. The Bible is thousands of years old, written by men thousands of years ago. So how do we know the Bible we hold in our hands, hide in our hearts, really is the word of God? Well, we're going to call scripture to the witness stand. Let it testify for itself. The apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, and he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The Bible is not just there to make you feel happy. It's there to help us live holy. Now, the word Paul used was inspired, which is inspiring, but what does that mean? Does that mean God kick-started the writers like a muse and said, here, I'm just, ah, let's see here. You know what, Samuel? Why don't you do this for me? I want you to think of maybe a story where a little guy beats up a big guy with a, oh, what could we use? Maybe a, a battering ram? No, no, little guy couldn't lift a battering ram. I got it. Slingshot and stone. <laughs> it's deeper than that. It's not just God inspired some guys and said, hey, write something good for me and and send it to me on canvas, and then I'll send it back to you with some red notes and track changes. The, the, little, the word literally means God breathed. The Bible yeah. is God's word because it contains God's words and his spirit, which gives life. There are a few theories on how the Bible was actually compiled. One is called limited inspiration. In other words, God really did just say, hey, you know what? You guys come up with some stuff and let me see it and I'll grade it and let you know. Then all the way on the other side of the spectrum, there's this thing called divine dictation, where basically God took the writer's hand by his own hand and wrote out what they would write out. Right. But that didn't happen. There is a beautiful balance in the in the middle of that that is called, here you go, you can impress your friends with this, verbal plenary inspiration, which means God took the best of both worlds, his inspiration with their personality, and combined those two together. I know. It's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, men wrote the Bible, but God authored the Bible. Andy, what would you think if you were a shepherd and you were writing about something that would stand the test of time and people would read thousands of years later? What would you think you'd write about? Oh, boy, that's a big question. I think that we all have this desire to memorialize something about ourselves, whether it's through writing or something we create, including our children. But to have that inspiration and to write something that is coming from God, something outside of this dimension. And I think that is the only explanation for why the Bible has not only lasted, but why people still seek it. People are still intrigued by it because you have those shepherds in that situation or others, maybe kings, uh, a wide variety of people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, but there's more. You have people from three different continents. You have multiple languages over thousands of years, yet you always arrive at this same message. People that did not even live in the same time period, continent, or or knew each other, and you have this same message over this great period of time. It's got to come from outside of time. It's got to come from something beyond us. So I can only imagine what I it would be like. Only somebody- imagine. 
Oh, I'm, I love when you break out in song. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even planned. I'm going right. to just to just to prompt you. <laughs> You've done that, by the way, at some very interesting times. I, I love sharing some of those stories. We can do a <laughs> podcast on that sometime about yes. how. LJ yes. just breaks out into song and really just throws the room right off. They don't even know <laughs> what to say. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, great, great question. And I, I think that does speak to the fact that you have this background of people and and something that is going to last. Of course, there have been people who have tried to stop the Bible, destroy the Bible, keep things from, from being out there. And the opposite effect occurred, especially when you think of the Caesars. And we talked about that a little bit uh, ahead of this. We've discussed how some of those things just kind of exploded compared to what's out there today. Absolutely. You mentioned something really interesting, the personalities, types that were different. For example, you've got shepherds writing about sheep, the Lord is my shepherd. You've got kings writing about life in the palace. David writes about what it was like to live in the palace. You have doctors, physicians like Luke in, in Luke and Acts writing about how people have been healed, even describes what happened when they were healed, that the man's ankle bones received strength in Acts 3. You have these personalities of writers who are coming through the scripture. Yeah. But what's interesting too is you have all these different professions and personalities which are markedly different from each other. You've kings, poets, shepherds, pastors, prisoners, fishermen, doctors, even a tax collector, yeah, musicians, all of them so very different. And yet, as you so well said, their message is exactly the same. God has come, or Old Testament is coming, yes. to redeem us. The Bible written in three different la languages, which pig Latin, not one of them, and Latin, not one of them, not one of them either. <laughs> Correct. For those of you who do not know, the Bible is written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic in the New Testament, written over 1,600 years from 1500 BC when Moses wrote to 90 AD when John put down his pen. So let's think back 1,600 years ago to the year 423 AD. Hmm. I was not around then. None of us, I don't think, were around then. How difficult do you think it would be to write a book that would be as relevant let's say in 3623 as it is in 2023 like do you oh, think if you yeah. wrote a book right now do you think it would be abundantly relevant and practical and practicable <laughs> to live if do you think your sayings would be printed on license plates and on plaques and hang right. up in people's <laughs> homes and 3623 people are going to say what's a license plate <laughs> you know that that's i love that question because first of all the short answer is it'd be a long shot to be able to do that right but what you brought to mind was a lot of people, of course, especially right now in, in the, the world we're living in today, the climate we're in, they're saying uh, a lot of things about George Orwell's 1984, of course, written 50 years before that, and a lot of things that are eerily coming to pass. But what people may not realize is George Orwell only had about 30% accuracy, even now, even today, where we see things and go, man, this is the stuff out of a work of fiction. I can't believe it's real life. He was only about 30% accurate oh, for wow. a prophet mm -hmm. of the Old Testament. Sure. In order for him to not be put to death, his right. accuracy rate had to be no less than 100%. 100%. That's right. Hey, listen. So, we're not expecting to be perfect, but if you're not, you die. 
you die. <laughs> that's it. I mean, it's it's real simple. No pressure. No pressure. Right. Just go ahead. Right. So, so that's I don't think that's something where people were really just lining up and saying, "Hey, I heard there's a position suddenly open for that's profit. Right. You got to consider me. Thank you for your time. Here's my resume." <laughs> that's right. Just check out my LinkedIn bio. I think you'll be very impressed. Right. I, I think for them, when God tells them to write, uh, they realize this is a huge responsibility. So to Absolutely. have something that that is written, and I'm sure these men were modest uh, in every way, but to have something that you're writing inspired from God, coming from God, of course, is going to last forever. And it's going to be 100% accurate. And I think, again, that's another draw to the Bible because a person, even a person who's not necessarily someone who would identify as a believer per se, has some grasp on this and can at least acknowledge something is happening here that I can't necessarily explain. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got sayings in the Bible that you may people may not even realize are in the Bible. For example, go the extra mile, the blind lead the blind. Fly in the ointment, good Samaritan, prodigal son, walk the straight and narrow, riding on the wall. All those yeah. sayings are in the Bible, and they're still being used today. Doubtless, that's not the only book. We quote from other books, and we quote from movies. Like We quote from Elf all year long. Oh, very, very much so. <laughs> but the Bible has so permeated our culture that it's found everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. now think, how difficult would it be to keep 40 authors from three continents in three languages over yeah. 1600 years from contradicting each other all right. over the place. Yeah. And yet their message is the same. It is that beautiful scarlet thread of redemption all the way from Genesis through Revelation that God is coming and then the New Testament has come. And then, of course, we know is coming back for us. It's an amazing message that is consistent all throughout the Bible. I was talking with a tax attorney one time, not taxidermy, but tax attorney one time, and he had a whole bookcase of books, tax code. And so I asked him, I was very newly married and I was very scared of the IRS. And I asked him, and if you're listening from the IRS, hello, Jesus had a tax collector as a disciple. God bless you. There are all these books. And I asked him, I said, okay, so help me out. How can I make sure that I stay on the right side of the law? How can I make sure I abide by all the tax code? And he looked at me and almost like, oh, you poor naive fellow, (laughs) said there's no way to do that. Because if you keep a law, and he pointed at one book on, let's say, second shelf. If you keep a law in this book, you will contradict a law and break a law in this book. And if you abide by this code, then you will violate this code. Mm. And I was like, who then can be saved? Just the, the thought that... That people in the same century, in the same language, on the same yeah. continent, could yeah. not keep it together, and yet Scripture is incredibly relevant. Now, you mentioned something that I thought was so interesting about how they were modest people. They absolutely were. Yeah. But there is something skeptics and critics, even those who are cynical, critical of the Bible, they, they reluctantly admit this. The Bible has a ring of authenticity, is what they call it, to yeah. it. And by that, one of those is the Bible does not shrink from the faults and flaws of its heroes. Yeah. If if we were writing the Bible, yes. if, I, if I were writing a book that I wanted people to read later about me, probably wouldn't put all the times I've fallen and failed and all my foibles and all of that, my mistakes, sure. my sins, my indiscretions, all of that. I wouldn't put all of that in a book. And yet you have David yeah. who is willing, willfully 
mm-hmm. writing in the 51st Psalm, God, forgive me. I mm-hmm. I have broken your law. I've broken your heart. I had adultery with Bathsheba. Right. Yet Peter, right. who will willingly allows to be written that he denied he even knew Jesus after walking with him and seeing every wonder and miracle he worked for three and a half years. You have all these stories. In fact, there are precious few. You probably could count on one hand, maybe not even need the thumb, of Bible characters about which we read more than just two verses Sure, who are considered, at least in the Bible, as Mm -hmm. not having made mistakes. Enoch is one, what, like six verses, maybe entire Bible on him. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody else is willing. The Bible re- willingly records that they failed, they failed, they failed, they failed, they failed, and yet yeah. God restored and redeemed them. So the Bible is not afraid of revealing the faults and flaws of its heroes. That is so true, and beyond even some PG thirteen stuff that people have trouble navigating. And when you mention the word contradiction, they tend to misuse that word and say, that may be a contradiction, or that doesn't make sense, or look how terrible this is. The Bible is not really a good thing after all. But we did a Bible study a while back, and we called it the, it was about the Bible and and the study of the Bible and some of those difficult stories. And it was called the good, the bad, and the icky. Because when you read the Bible, unlike other holy books of other religions that may scrub that in one particular case, a story in Genesis for another podcast, maybe, but you're going to read about incest. You're going to read about murder. You're going to read about a lot of things that you may see it on Netflix and not think anything of it. But a lot of people think, well, I thought this was the good book, the holy book. Why is this here? This is terrible. I would never let my kids read it. But once you really start peeling back those layers, you find out exactly what you're saying. And even more that there's lessons in there and that you often will find Christ in a story that you would not expect to find him in. Because as you said early in the, in our study here, that you're seeing this promise to come, this foreshadowing of Jesus, and it is all through the Old Testament, even with the good, the bad, and the icky. And the icky. I like that. Yeah. Now, the Bible's not afraid of revealing the sin of its heroes. It's not afraid of specifics either. Yeah. Most of our listeners have heard of Alexander the Great. I, mm-hmm. I just I think it's funny if you're going to name yourself, you're going to name yourself the Great, but <laughs> Alexander the Great, the we Christ. know that he came through and he pretty much ran the table on the world. He conquered almost the entire world. He was just like a shopping spree of conquest. Yeah. But what people may not realize is around 520 BC, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah prophesied about cities and countries that were going to fall in battle and the order in which they would fall. This was not just some, let's just say, prophet wannabe saying somebody in here tonight has back pain. (laughs) this was the countries and cities that would fall and the order in which they fall. Zechariah wrote in his book, first of all, will fall Damascus and Syria, then Tyre, then four Philistine cities. So 190 years later, here comes Alexander the Great. Mm -hmm. And Alexander the Great came through and he went on that shopping spree. He conquered Syria. Check that box. Then he headed straight to Phoenicia to the twin cities of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, Mm -hmm. they were twin cities. They were like Minneapolis and St. Paul. If you go to one, you'll go to the other. The Philistines could feel the heat, but they had hope because the last two kings who took a swing at Tyre, they lost. One lost after five years and one last after 13. You could not beat Tyre. It was indomitable. Yeah. Alexander took it out. Yeah. He took it out in seven months. But here's what's interesting. He left Sidon alone. Mm-hmm. Just like God prophesied he would through Zechariah. That was unlikely that somebody yeah. who would conquer the world would leave one of the cities alone, but he did, and Zechariah said he would. 
Right, right. Then he tore into a Philistine city, like a kindergartner into a cupcake. And then, so he goes through Philistine, just like he said. But then he sets his sights on Israel. But there's no mention by Zechariah that this ruler, this conqueror, will take out Israel. And so mm -hmm. people would look at that like, ah, there you go, there you go. But Alexander the Great has just gone through Syria, Phoenicia, Philistia. He's headed your way, and he's not coming to go garage sailing. So mm -hmm. what has the Bible missed? God does not mention Israel, doesn't mention Jerusalem. He's coming to Jerusalem. Maybe this is a chink in Scripture's armor. But according mm -hmm. to history, Israel's high priest prayed, which is always the right thing to do. And God told him what to do. He said, yes. don't fight him. You open wide the gates, and you welcome him. And history records that he did just that. He went out yeah. to meet Alexander the Great. Not with a sword, but with a handshake. And when Alexander saw the high priest in Israel, he fell down and worshipped the God he served. And then somebody brought him a scroll and said, you probably don't realize this, but everything you're doing was prophesied years before mm -hmm. you ever Isn't got something? here. Isn't that something? It is amazing, just wow. like Zechariah prophesied and even alluded to in the book of Daniel. Yeah. Alexander yeah. the Great would do what he did, and he did it almost 200 years later. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I'm going to call you LJ the Magnificent from now on. I think no. I, I, <laughs> I, and the, the excellent. I I think that's a draw for people. Uh, not only even if they don't know that that story, they understand that there are so many examples of this, and they they also understand we have prophecy for what's yet to come. And I think that's also right. a huge draw for people. But but that accuracy in prophecy and what they've already seen and what they do know, I think is a major draw because people want to know, can I, can I trust it? Can I trust it the way I trust my dog? Right. <laughs> and we need to get out of here. We got to get out of here that they can trust it. And I think I, I had shared this with you uh, earlier, LJ and, and a couple of these books I have on my shelf. And so I'm just going to stick with a couple familiar names if I can real quick. Absolutely. When it comes to that accuracy that people rely on and they want to know you can trust it, it's always interesting to me that despite the story you just told, the real account that you just told us, people still doubt. Now, if you tell them something that Aristotle said right. or Plato or Pliny, right. some of the more common names, I got a whole list of names here. Some of them, most of us haven't really heard of, but those are some of the big ones on my list. But when you look at those, you could say right now, we're going to do a podcast on Aristotle. And I don't know that anybody would bat an eye over anything that we tell them for what we know of Aristotle, right? But right. as it turns out, I've got this handy little chart I like to show people. Aristotle wrote between 384 and 322 BC. The earliest copy that we have, not the original, the earliest copy isn't for 1100 years AD. Wow. That's a 1400 year span. And wow. five of those copies. Same way when you look at Plato, he wrote from 427 to 347 BC. There are seven copies, not the original, with the. Wow. And people in antiquities call the autograph. There's not an original, but in 427 to 347, he wrote the earliest copies are found in 900 AD. So there's a 1200 year span, Goodness. a gap where everything's missing. And all of a sudden these copies show up. Yet, if we're to talk about Plato or Aristotle, and I've got a list of probably about 15, maybe 16. Sure. You're talking anywhere from 750 years on the list I have. That's the lowest number 
up to a time span of about 1600 years with Catholic. And there's only three copies of his work. So when we see that and we think of how scripture, the inspired word of God, how it came to be with all of these, take the epistles, for example, from Paul, these letters to the churches and all of the volumes that were made of these copies distributed to the churches. Since we're, we're running short on time, I just wanted to ask you, how do you navigate that for folks who say, I still think there's a little trouble. I still trust my dog a heck of a lot more than this thing you <laughs> in the Bible. So how do you, as a preacher, as a minister, when you have people coming to you, especially even maybe new believers who accept sure. it, they still say, I've got a little reservation about this. How do you explain to them in a in a real loving and simple way that there is this reliability there that you can trust that that this is real that it hasn't been tampered with changed there wasn't some right in in, in Tudor England who said I want to change things for this reason and that reason uh, to suit my own needs and purposes all these weird theories and and conspiracy ideas that come out what do you do to to really help people along with that there are so many witnesses who had stepped up to the stand and testify for the Bible. First of all, the fact that Scripture has more predictive prophecy than any other holy book in the world. And for example, if we just take eight of them, Peter Stoner was the chairman of mathematics and astronomy, I believe, at Pasadena College. He concluded, and he was a lot smarter than I am with numbers, that if eight prophecies, just eight, not 300, just eight, would come to pass by chance, random chance, the the probability of that would be one in 100 quadrillion. In other words, he said, let me just put it in a, a way you would understand. You cover the city or the state of Texas with silver dollars, bigger than a quarter, mm. two feet deep, mark one with a Sharpie and have a blind man find it on the first try. Oh just the, the odds of it, you, you oh would, you would, you, it's not going to happen. And yet <laughs> right. you, hundreds of prophecies about from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And we know when the ones in the Old Testament were written, we know when they were fulfilled in the New Testament. The fact that the New Testament was closed, the canon was closed 90 AD when Paul or John rather wrote Revelation and put down his pen. That's only 60 years after Jesus walked the earth. And the Jews were very heavy on oral tradition and passing down these stories and telling these stories and having witnesses who were still alive, who saw Jesus, walked with him and would testify that what they're reading is true and accurate. Science confirms there's science all throughout the Bible. The Bible does not shy from science. And next time, next episode, we will talk about does science contradict the Bible? But Mm -hmm. science confirms the Bible. History confirms the Bible. There are a list of kings that are mentioned everywhere all throughout the Bible, people who are mentioned in antiquity, who they are discovering through archaeology, which continues to confirm the Bible, that those kings existed. They existed and reigned in the order in which the Bible says they did. Finally, well, not even finally, another great piece of evidence, which we've already talked about, is the empty tomb. The fact that the tomb in Jerusalem was empty, you have to account for that. You can't just shrug it off. You have to account for he did die, he was buried. And if you don't think he was divine, then explain to me how the tomb is empty. And the disciples all went to their deaths prophesied, testifying to that fact. But finally, our transformed lives. We are, Paul said, epistles written and read of all men. Our lives have been transformed by the power of the Spirit. That doesn't happen with a dead Christ. Our lives have been absolutely changed from the power of the Spirit. So can we trust the Bible? Absolutely. The Bible has stood the test of time like perhaps no other book. So many rulers, dictators, despots have tried to destroy the Bible. Voltaire himself, who was a French infidel, he said, 
is a bear, very, very dear, then 100 yards. That's my that's a that's a spot on Voltaire. That's, by that, way. that's that's that was my Voltaire and my love Lumiere. It. They combined Lumiere, Voltaire combined. <laughs> Voltaire is dead, yes. and right after he died, the Geneva <laughs> Bible Society purchased his house and printed Bibles out of his house. That was just a little way of saying, you know what, say what you want to say, but yeah. history will tell the truth. Yeah. So all of that, all that evidence that compiles, it, it's un, unbelievable that people, they may not trust that this was inspired, but you yeah. have to be able to look back and say, wow, there is something pretty miraculous about it, nevertheless. And so we can trust that the word of God, which we hide in our hearts, which we hold in our hands, is in fact the word of God and will get us all the way from here to to heaven. You mentioned some resources, and as we close out this podcast, I want to share with you, our listeners, a few resources that would be helpful if you're looking to continue your study on this particular, can I really believe the Bible? Absolutely. The Reason for God by Timothy Keller, The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, and New Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Excellent resources that testify that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. Very okay. Good. Very well. Thank you. All right. You. Hey, I'm so glad we could have this episode. We are going to next time. We are going to ask the question: Does science contradict the Bible? Because so many scientists say that you can't believe it; it's not true. So we're going to ask the question: What about science and the Bible? Are they against each other, or does science confirm what we read in the Bible? That's so you're saying we might not really have to pick a side here. Like I don't think we do. I believe right, we can have gonna be our, a good one. I believe we can have our nothing bunt cake and eat it too. <laughs> All right. All right. That's what we're going to share next time. Looking forward to it. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us today to trust his word yeah. and to follow, to obey what he has written and inspired in his word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Your word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is inspired. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us to read it. Help us to trust it. Help us to obey it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see you in your word and help us to follow after you with all our heart. Lead us, God, from here all the way to heaven as we follow you and we follow your word. I ask you this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, podcast listeners. Until next time, I'm LJ. I'm the preacher. And I'm Andy, I'm the policeman. Be blessed and be safe.